The Strange But True story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome back to episode 13 of Things Are About To Get Weird. I've always considered 13 to be a pretty fortunate number, and if you're a fan of all things bizarre, it's your lucky day, as this is definitely the podcast for you. If this is your first time listening, each episode of this podcast is dedicated to a different strange but true story. I cover everything from true crime and unexplained phenomena to unsolved mysteries and odd happenings, both past and present. Today's story is just something else. At times during my research, I was left bewildered by this person's life story. In my personal opinion, I think it's one of the most outrageous examples of how someone with an incredibly nefarious past can hide in plain sight. And not just that, but be the face of a large company, gain a cult-like following and use it to promote a business model that is notoriously unethical and unprofitable for those lowest down the ladder. This episode is all about Donald Gary Young, the founder and former CEO of the Essential Oils multi-level marketing company, Young Living. I wanted to begin this story by going right back to basics and talking briefly about what multi-level marketing companies, or MLMs as they're commonly known, actually are. I feel that this context will be very important later in the story, as as much as I personally am very interested in the debates and discussions around MLMs and their business practices, I know that not everyone will have the same base knowledge, so here it is in a nutshell. If you've ever received one of those messages on social media that usually begins something like, hey hun, with the person proceeding to try and sign you up to the business opportunity that they're involved with as a consultant or a coach, it's very likely that they were pitching you to join an MLM. Examples of MLM companies that you might have heard of include Avon, Sensi, Juice Plus, Herbalife, Arbon. the list really does go on. Even brands like The Body Shop and Ann Summers have divisions of their companies in addition to the brick and mortar retail stores, which are in fact MLMs. The opportunity is often presented to you as starting your own business, with an emphasis on being your own boss, making your own hours, having the potential to earn huge sums of money, and if you rank highly enough in the company, flashy incentives like cars. But the realities of the vast, vast majority of these companies is very different. Research has consistently shown that around 99.6% of people who sign up to be part of an MLM company actually end up losing money instead of making any. This can be for a number of reasons. Some MLMs require their consultants to purchase a minimum amount of product each month to remain active in the company, regardless of whether they can sell it or not. Some have outrageous startup bundle fees. Some encourage consultants to host parties at their own expense with absolutely no guarantees that anyone will buy anything. 
But the crux of the whole thing is that the business model requires consultants to get people to sign up under them as a downline and make passive income from the sales that those downlines make. And if you struggle to do this, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to sell enough volume of product month after month to ever turn a profit. In addition, the person who signed you up, i.e. your upline, gets a cut of whatever profit you make. So what happens is that those at the top who have many, many people signed up under them, who in turn have people signed up under them, they make a lot of money. But for the vast majority who are lower down, it's simply not the case. The model ends up looking like, well, not a pyramid for legal reasons, but a triangle, let's say. So with all of that said, and please do bear it in mind for later on in the story, we're going to switch focus to the main player in the story, Donald Gary Young, who is sometimes referred to as D. Gary Young, but most often simply Gary Young, was born on the 11th of July, 1949 in Idaho Falls, which is of course in the US state of Idaho. For the purposes of our story, I'm going to refer to him as Gary Young to keep things consistent with the majority of articles written about him and how he became known to the public. Gary grew up in a Mormon family who lived on a ranch, and he was the second oldest of six children born to his mother Dolly, who worked part-time in a drugstore, and his father Donald, who worked on the family ranch. The family struggled badly, and when speaking about his childhood in later years, Gary said they had no electricity or running water. He's quoted as saying, As I looked at the poverty in which I lived, I knew in my heart that I never wanted to live like my parents and was determined to have something better. And it seems to me that this desire is what would motivate Gary to push for the life he wanted and be successful doing it, whatever the cost. He graduated from high school in 1967 and had a short stint working for the US Forest Service, which looks after over 150 different national forests across the United States. But before long, Gary decided he wanted to move to Canada and work in the logging trade over there. In April of 1968, he met his first wife, Donna Jean, and after being together for just six months, they actually got married. It appears as though life was fairly normal for Gary and Donna after they married, at least until 1973. It was in February of that year that Gary's life took a dramatic turn, one which would completely alter his path going forward. He was involved in a logging accident, that much we know is true, but right off the bat, things start to get a little strange. According to one of several deep dive articles that Business Insider published on Gary Young, Accounts of the seriousness of this accident vary drastically depending on who you ask. In a book later written by Gary's third wife, Mary Young, she documents his injuries as follows, and do be warned, this is pretty graphic. Three open skull fractures, a ruptured spinal cord, nearly a dozen ruptured spinal discs, 16 broken or crushed vertebrae, a broken pelvis, in total, 19 broken bones and a prediction from his doctor that he would never walk again. Mary says he spent 27 months in a wheelchair and decided he was going to drink nothing but water and lemon juice before feeling movement returning to his right toe and eventually learning to walk again. One article published by directsellingnews.com 
even wrote that he was in a coma for the first three months after the accident. However, official documents from the time tell a somewhat different story of how the events played out. According to Business Insider, court records show that whilst yes, the accident did happen and yes, Gary was hospitalised until June, he only used a wheelchair for around four months after he was discharged from hospital. The court records show that by November he was using crutches and by just December of that same year, he was back working part-time as a trucker, which was the first of several labour-intensive jobs that he would do over the next few years. Additionally, during this downtime between the accident in the February and him returning to work in December, Gary completed a home study course in nutrition and herbology. Now, there's nothing whatsoever to say that someone recovering from physical injuries or who has physical limitations can't complete a course or dedicate time to studying. There's no question around that. The controversy is much more around the time frame of his recovery and the severity of his injuries. And at this point, you may be wondering why it really matters. And the answer is because that first and far more dramatic retelling of his accident and recovery became a huge part of Gary's story, which was later used to hook people into the dream that he was selling, as he credits this post-accident period as the time in which he discovered the world of alternative healing. Now, this interest in alternative healthcare would lead to a change in career paths for Gary, starting in 1979, when he signed up to study at the Burroughs VitaFlex Institute. VitaFlex is a technique created by Stanley Burroughs, and in a nutshell, it's similar to reflexology and focuses on applying pressure to parts of the body, and it's often also used in conjunction with essential oils. Though the institute was dedicated to the teachings of Stanley Burroughs, he was, however, not a doctor, and the institute was unaccredited. In fact, later in 1981, after 24-year-old Lee Swatzenbarg, who was battling cancer, passed away after being treated by him, Burroughs was convicted of second-degree murder and practising medicine without a licence. Though the murder conviction was later overturned on appeal, I think it goes without saying that he was not a reliable source to be learning anything from. But Gary Young's taste for these unaccredited schools did not stop at the VitaFlex Institute. From 1979 to 1981, he attended Donsbach Nutrition University, which honestly sounds made up to me. And this school was run by yet another unlicensed medical professional, very much in air quotes, who has since been convicted of practising medicine without a licence, not once, but twice. His name is Kurt Donsbach, and he is an unlicensed chiropractor. Gary had a couple of short stints at other institutes before attending Bernadine University from 1982 to 1985, gaining what's described on his website as a doctorate in naturopathy. The only problem is, Bernadine University was once again unaccredited and is largely considered to be a mail-order diploma mill. By 1982, so at the start of his time studying with Bernadine University, Gary and Donna Jean had moved to Spokane in the US state of Washington. At the time, they already had six children and Donna was pregnant with their seventh. It was in Washington that Gary decided to open what court records referred to as a herb shop and nutrition centre called Golden Six Health World. 
During this time, he actually did enrol at the legitimate Spokane Community College, but he only ended up spending a quarter of a semester studying pre-med courses there. He also attended the American Institute of Physioregenerology, but once again, he only took a few classes and did a fraction of the required homework. It's in September of 1982 that this story takes a tragic turn, and please do be warned that the next minute or so of this episode mentions the death of a child, so please do feel free to skip ahead if you prefer. So, at the time, it appears that one of Gary Young's beliefs was that if a child was delivered underwater, that they were somehow born already immunised against all kinds of diseases. I don't even know what to say about that, but it seems that he had previously delivered several babies using this underwater method by the time Donna was due to give birth to their daughter in 1982. This is awful, but sadly, their baby daughter Rachel died whilst her father attempted to deliver her in a whirlpool bath at the Golden Six Health World facility. Now, of course, Rachel's death was investigated by the county coroner, whose name was Lois Shanks, who's quoted in press coverage from the time as saying, "...the child probably would have lived if delivered under more conventional circumstances. It was a perfectly normal, healthy little girl. There's no reason why she should not have lived." She went on to say that, "...it seems the child stayed in the bath, underwater, for almost an hour before she was removed. However, Rachel's death certificate actually listed cardiac arrest as her cause of death and not drowning. It's very, very strange and obviously incredibly heartbreaking. Because of this cause of death ruling as cardiac arrest, Gary was not charged in the death of his daughter. But the authorities were concerned, to say the least, and the following year, an undercover investigation into Gary and his health centre was launched, and what they discovered was wild in the most disturbing way. In the presence of undercover officers, Gary Young not only offered to deliver a baby, but claimed that he was able to treat cancer. He said he was able to detect cancer by taking a blood sample, which he would, quote, interpret. And he also said he could interpret the nutritional needs of a pregnant woman by looking at the results of her blood test too. Needless to say, this was more than enough evidence to charge him with practicing medicine without a license. Gary was arrested and he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge. He received a 60-day suspended jail sentence, a year of probation, and was ordered not to engage in the practice of medicine in Washington. In my personal opinion, this sentence was not nearly severe enough and did nothing to discourage his behavior as, around the same time, Gary opened up a new clinic in Tijuana, Mexico. According to a piece from the New Yorker, it seems that this new clinic was no stranger to bizarre medical test claims either. A reporter from the Los Angeles Times, John Hurst, decided to go undercover posing as a patient and submitted a blood sample to the clinic to see what his results would show. A so-called health educator from the clinic broke some terrible news to John. They said his blood sample showed signs of aggressive cancer and liver dysfunction and suggested that he should undergo the facility's $2,000 per week program as treatment. The only thing is, the blood sample John submitted was not his own. In fact, it wasn't even human. 
It was actually taken from a healthy seven-year-old tabby cat. When John Hurst revealed this to the health educator, the article notes that she claimed the cat probably had leukaemia, which couldn't have been further from the truth. The cat was, thankfully, perfectly fine. In the late 1980s, Gary was involved with selling things like vitamins and extracts through a new health company, the Young Life Wellness Centre, which he had previously founded in California whilst on probation. By this point, he had also divorced his first wife, Donna, and married his second wife, Dixie. However, in 1988, the Young Life Wellness Centre was ordered to be shut down, and the state of California actually filed a complaint against Gary for what they claimed was, quote, unfair, deceptive, untrue, and misleading advertising, and unlawful, unfair, and fraudulent business practices. Several medical practitioners at the time were outspoken about Gary's practices and methods and how they had no basis in science and were essentially dangerous. The case was settled in 1989, but not before he spent a month in jail in 1988 for violating a condition of his parole in the Washington case. He'd also been sued by a former employee at his Tijuana clinic, who claimed Gary and his second wife had taken a $100,000 investment the employee had provided for the clinic and kept it for personal use, as well as misappropriating corporate funds, amongst other accusations. Gary was ultimately ordered to pay the employee back the $100,000. So at this point, after leaving multiple legal issues in his wake and still possessing absolutely no valid medical qualifications, what do you think Gary Young did next? perhaps retreat back to his roots in the logging trade or complete a full course at a legitimate school to help further his healthcare ambitions? Of course not. By 1994, Gary had divorced Dixie and married his third and most well-known wife, Mary, who I referred to earlier in this episode as the author of the book which detailed his 1973 accident. Together, they moved to Utah, and based on Gary's fascination with essential oils and their potential benefits, a fascination which had been growing larger and larger in the background for several years, they founded the company that would eventually become one of the biggest multi-level marketing companies in history, Young Living Essential Oils. At this point, I just wanted to talk about the essential oils themselves for a moment. Now, when used correctly and sparingly for the purposes of things like aromatherapy, essential oils can be great. Personally, I enjoy diffusing them every now and again in my house. I'm not a dedicated fan of them, but I enjoy them every now and again. But there are certainly people who misuse essential oils. And if you'd like to dive deeper into this, I would definitely recommend the essential oils episode of the Netflix series Unwell, which also provides some interesting additional information on Gary Young and Young Living too. The Unwell series isn't perfect, but it's definitely interesting. Personally, I experienced somewhat of a run-in with an old neighbour of mine who sold essential oils through another MLM called doTERRA. This neighbour cornered my husband in our apartment building and tried to convince him that they had oils which could cure my anxiety. We weren't close friends with these people and I'd never spoken to them about anything to do with anxiety. My husband might have mentioned in passing once that I was maybe a bit stressed out, but we really didn't have that kind of relationship with them. It was very 
odd. And it was only when I watched that Netflix episode that it clicked that they were probably trying to pitch us their MLM. And since I've dived deeper into the practices of the people who work in MLMs, I now realise that it was probably an example of my neighbour trying to exploit a vulnerability to get me involved in this world. Anyway, I digress. It seems that Gary Young had become more and more convinced that essential oils were part of the key to health. And according to a lecture transcript from the 80s obtained by Business Insider, Gary, quote, described disease as tools used by doctors and nurses to manipulate sick patients into being dependent on them. He said that people who lack a will to live subconsciously choose to get sick. Yikes. In the year 2000, Gary and Mary opened yet another clinic, this time in Utah, and it was called the Young Life Research Clinic. The New Yorker described the clinic as a place that administered essential oils and other alternative therapies to patients with heart disease, depression and cancer, among other conditions. And it didn't take too long for the centre to become shrouded in controversy. A paediatrician named Sherman Johnson was employed by the clinic, but it came to light that he had only recently had his medical licence reinstated, as around a decade earlier, he had been convicted of manslaughter after a woman he was treating for cancer had died under his care after receiving improper treatment. In 2004, another clinic employee was charged by the Utah Attorney General for practicing medicine without a license, saying she presented herself as a master herbalist and saying she performed diagnostic tests and prescribed products to patients. But it doesn't end there. According to The New Yorker, in 2005, a patient sued the clinic, claiming that the infusions of vitamin C that she had received caused renal failure, which was almost fatal. The lawsuit was settled and the clinic was closed, before Gary simply opened a new one, this time in Ecuador. Young Living, the MLM, however, was beginning to thrive. According to the Utah Daily Herald, in 1996, Young Living projected sales of between $8 and $10 million, and from 2015 to 2017, they reported annual sales totaling over $1 billion. So from a financial perspective, things for the company and the people at the top of it were looking wonderful. But sadly, like in the vast majority of MLMs, the situation for most of the people at the bottom of the company was less than rosy. The New York article from 2017 noted that the distributors, i.e. the individuals signed up to sell the products, were required to make a minimum monthly purchase of around $100 and get this. The piece noted that, as shown by the public income disclosure statement, on average, 94% of Young Living's 2 million members made less than $1 per month in 2016, whilst less than 0.1% of those members earned more than $1 million annually. And that, my friends, is the perfect illustration of why this... <clears throat> triangular shaped business model simply does not work for the vast majority of the people involved in it. Honestly, if this isn't the very definition of a strange but true story, I don't know what is, because even without considering the wildly shocking past conduct of the company's founder, this is 
a bizarre situation. But anyway, despite the company seemingly going from strength to strength financially, things were slightly different when it came to various complaints and legal troubles. In 2014, Young Living was one of three companies warned by the FDA that they must not market their products as treatments or cures for Ebola. Yes, you heard that correctly. A Young Living paid consultant or member created a graphic advertising several Young Living essential oils with the title, Viruses, including Ebola, are no match for Young Living essential oils. According to the Washington Post, the member went on to write, The Higley essential oil reference guide mentions that the Ebola virus cannot live in the presence of cinnamon bark. This is in thieves, nor oregano. I would definitely add those two oils to whatever I was using. Then they doubled down on their problematic narrative, saying, I pray we don't have to hear about this virus coming to the US, but if you travel outside of our country or know someone who goes to Africa or lives in Africa, maybe you could send them a care package of Young Living essential oils. Sometimes I just have no words. Now, Young Living provided a statement to the Washington Post, which stated that the company was cooperating fully with the FDA regarding its inquiry, and that Young Living members are, quote, provided specific instructions on how to promote our products to their customers. In the coming days, we will be contacting all our membership to ensure that they understand how to best use our products and remain compliant with regulatory directives. We have already contacted each of the members cited in the FDA letter to help get them into compliance. And herein lies another general problem with MLMs. The independent consultants are not employees. It's a bit like the Wild West. The companies have very little control over what individuals claim or state whilst marketing the products to their potential customers. Anyway, in the year before, 2013, Young Living actually started a legal battle with the other essential oil company I mentioned earlier, doTERRA, whose founder was actually the former COO of Young Living. Young Living claimed doTERRA had stolen trade secrets and poached staff, amongst other things, but ultimately Young Living lost the case. In the 2020 Business Insider three-part deep dive into Young Living, one of the articles noted that between 2013 and 2014, the Food and Drug Administration received at least 11 reports of Young Living customers reporting serious adverse event reactions to the products. After the FDA investigated these, they didn't find issues with the oils themselves, but rather the labelling and lack of proper advice on how to use them. The article also notes an incident in 2014 when a customer experienced seizures, brain swelling and a drug-induced coma after interacting with some of the products. During the investigation into this incident, it came out that the woman's upline in Young Living had advised her to stop taking the seizure medication she'd been prescribed by her doctor which was ultimately found to be the cause of her medical issues. And then there are the conventions. Whilst this story so far has been strange in the sense that it's just so wild and shocking that Gary Young was able to operate in the ways that he did and still become so successful, from here things just become plain weird. Each summer, Young Living holds its annual convention in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the most commonly used phrase I've seen to describe these events is cult-like. 
and in years past, they were very much centred around Gary Young himself. Thousands upon thousands of enthusiastic, dedicated and excited Young Living distributors pay to attend these huge spectacles, filing into a huge arena to wait for the Young Living leaders to make their entrance. And when it was Gary Young making these entrances, it was always quite something. One year, he entered the stage on a galloping horse whilst dressed in full knight's armour. Another time, he was on a sled pulled by huskies, and on one occasion, he flew in on a zip line. The conventions consist of motivational speeches, workshops, and networking events with other Young Living members. But that wasn't all. Business Insider noted that the atmosphere of these conventions was very much about cementing a kind of unwavering devotion to both Gary Young and the company. The publication spoke to an attendee who recalled an occasion where, backstage, Gary Young was anointing babies with frankincense oil. He said, Women were just fawning over him and handing him their babies, and he would dump some frankincense on their heads and he would place his hands on their heads. You see, Gary Young was very religious, and he massively incorporated this into his business. A former employee of Young Living told Insider, there was definitely a cultish following around him, and they described Gary Young's message as being, we are here to heal the world. This is what God used to heal mankind for thousands of years, this is what prophets used in the Bible, and we are here to bring back the wisdom of God's medicine on earth. Now, if all of this had happened at conventions hosted by a traditional company where everyone in attendance was an employee with a salary who hadn't spent hundreds of their own dollars to be there, it could be shrugged off as quirky and unconventional if inappropriate. But what I think it's important to remember is that, statistically speaking, the vast majority of those attending were likely to be making almost no money whatsoever from being involved with this company. In fact, after paying the ticket price to attend and for flights and hotel costs, it's likely they'd be hugely out of pocket. So what is the purpose of these conventions? This is just my personal opinion, of course, but look at it this way. Uplines need their downlines. The people at the top need those at the bottom to at least keep making their minimum monthly purchases, or else the people at the top's income would start to dry up. And how do you keep those at the bottom of the company engaged? You sell them a dream. You cultivate loyalty. You make them believe that if they work hard enough and want it badly enough, it will all work out. But in an MLM business structure, it's impossible for everyone to get to the top. In April 2019, it seemed for a moment that some major trouble could be coming Young Living's way, as a proposed class action lawsuit was filed under the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organisations, or RICO Act, alleging that Young Living was in fact an illegal pyramid scheme. However, the lawsuit was dismissed in 2021. I'm not an expert on the US legal system, but it looks to be that this was due to the plaintiffs not being able to essentially produce enough evidence to prove their case. 
There is so much more that I haven't even got to in this episode that you can read about when it comes to Gary Young and Young Living. And I would highly recommend going down the rabbit hole further if you are interested. It feels that everywhere you look in this subject, every article you read, every opinion piece you stumble across, there are more and more red flags that pop up. But to finish off this episode, I wanted to talk about the final bizarre turn in Gary Young's story. Gary actually passed away on the 12th of May 2018 at the age of just 68. And at the time of his death, he was no longer the CEO of Young Living, as Mary had taken over from him in 2015. But the confusion comes when we get to Gary's cause of death. When he passed away, his wife Mary announced that it was due to a series of strokes and the complications that arose from them. However, Gary's son Sean, from his first marriage, claimed his father had died from cancer. So what was the reason for these conflicting statements? We don't know for sure. All we do know is that Sean and his brother Matthew spoke out, saying that Mary had hidden Gary's deteriorating health from them, and as a result, they didn't get to say goodbye to their dad before he passed. This according to one of the Business Insider articles. It's just yet another strange twist in this tale. As for Young Living, the company... They are still going strong to this day. And according to their 2022 US income disclosure statement from summer this year, the average annual income for the lowest tier members called associates, which make up 89% of all members, is now a whopping $3 per year the highest number earned by anyone in that associate rank in the space of a whole year, was $781. For me, this story is an example of truth being stranger than fiction. When you step back and look at this sequence of events as a whole, I think it's truly unbelievable that Gary Young was able to lead the life he did and still end up becoming this cult-like leader of a billion dollar business. My personal hope is that the world continues to become more and more aware of how predatory and unethical the MLM business model can be. And eventually these companies will either fade away or restructure. And I hope that laws change to help protect the individuals who unknowingly get themselves involved in these opportunities that will most likely lose their money. Well, I know this story was heavy and I just threw a lot of information at you, but Honestly, the more I read about Gary Young and the company, the more it made my blood boil. I always try to stay quite level-headed in these episodes, but when you're presented with hit after hit detailing the kind of things mentioned in this story, well, all I can say is that I lost count of the number of times I ended up just sitting there with my mouth open, not being able to believe what I was reading. I really hope that you found this story interesting and I would very much like to know what you think too. Have you heard of Young Living? Did you know much about MLMs beforehand? Have you ever been involved in one or pitched to join one? Please do get in touch and let me know. Our Instagram page is at Things Get Weird Podcast, and on Twitter it's at About To Get Weird. On Facebook, we have both the page and the discussion group, so if you search Things Are About To Get Weird there, both of those should pop up. You can also email me at thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com too. Time to give shout outs to the many, many articles which helped me with my research today. Those Business Insider articles were all incredibly helpful. 
They were all written by Nicole Einbinder and she did a really amazing job. So I really do urge you to read each of the pieces, they are brilliant. There was that fantastic New Yorker piece from 2017 by Rachel Munro, a 2020 article from metro.co.uk, a Washington Post article from 2014, a 2017 piece from consumerreports.org, a great website called Quackwatch, a 2010 article from the San Diego News Network, directsellingnews.com, a piece from the Utah Daily Herald, law.justia.com, which had helpful documents, and a 1983 newspaper clipping from the Spokesman Review. A huge, huge thank you to you for listening today and for your lovely feedback and ratings on Spotify and Apple Podcasts too. If you're enjoying these episodes, I would be beyond grateful if you could click those stars wherever you listen. It really means the world and it really helps too. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Thank you.